Uh, many of you know that I grew up in a very small town in Alaska, less than a thousand people in my hometown. So when I went uh, to uh, Chicago area for college, there was a bit of a culture shock for me. And one of the first things that they would do uh, for incoming freshmen is to take the whole group of them, break them into groups of about 15, and send them to downtown Chicago by the uh, commuter train to experience uh, life in the loop. We get to see different things in downtown Chicago. So uh, we did this. We all crowded into the metro trains, went down, got off, and, and of course, when you step out of the train station, these uh, buildings are just towering up toward the sky all around you. Now, of course, uh, everyone in Chicago is used to this. Uh, no one is very impressed by these things. Everyone's just walking straight forward. No one is kind of gawking up at the skyline. Uh, no one except these pods of wide-eyed freshmen from places like Des Moines and, and Montana and Alaska, and, and we're just staring up at these giant buildings that, that were not there in our hometown. And I'm sure everyone on the street was kind of rolling their eyes and, and sort of making fun of us in their hearts. Uh, and I tried to play it cool, like it wasn't that big of a deal, but the truth was I was pretty impressed. I had seen buildings from a distance and skylines and stuff like that. I'd seen pictures, but to be there and to be looking up was, was a pretty impressive thing. I mean, the, the tallest building in my hometown was the high school gym, so this was kind of a new uh, experience. It's not a joke, it's true. Um, but one building in particular uh, really uh, struck me. It was just a few blocks from the train station, the, the Chase uh, Bank building, and it has these long curving lines that go all the way from the base all the way up to the top of the building. And you can actually lie down and lean back against these big sweeping curves and then look straight up to watch the building uh, curve up ahead of you. And it's kind of an optical illusion where it feels like the building is almost tipping over on top of you. It's the kind of experience that, that can make you feel very small and very vulnerable. It's an impressive kind of a thing. Our story today from the Bible that we're looking at starts with a towering statue. Like these uh, giant buildings, they're designed, the statue is designed to make you feel small and to make you feel vulnerable. It's a statue that's designed to show human power and human ingenuity. Ultimately, this is a statue that's about human arrogance, and it's going to teach us a very important lesson about what should be truly impressive to us. Now, the text is Daniel chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles if you haven't done that. This is a familiar story. It's the story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and the fiery furnace. So maybe you've heard this story before. Daniel chapter 3. Uh, it's found on page 875 of the Pew Bibles. You can go ahead and uh, grab one of those. Take it up, page 875. Daniel chapter 3. As we read this story together and look at it, uh, we're going to see three key themes emerge, uh, that, three very important lessons for us to see. Uh, the first theme here is the arrogance of human rulers. Listen to how this story begins. Daniel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high, 6 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language 
fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. I want you to think about this uh, display and try to kind of visualize it. This is a a really impressive uh, display of pomp and power. And and the writer is telling this in a way that really heightens the sense of how big of a deal this was for Nebuchadnezzar and the people of Babylon and the province here. And the statue itself was enormous. It's 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. So this is huge. And it's towering height along with the the precious metal it was made out of, gold or gold-plated. It really speaks to the power of the king who made it. And having made this big, impressive statue, the king is now going to gather all of the big, important people and to show that he is the one who is in control of all of this. And so the list of all of the different officials who are present in great detailed form, two different times, along with a list of all the different instruments to be played, again, in great detail, two times, really paints the scene for us. This is an impressive, really big deal kind of day. And what Nebuchadnezzar is demanding here is absolute allegiance. So he's going to give the order, strike up the band, and everyone falls down to honor this towering statue on this monumental occasion. So this whole thing is about loyalty to the king, and disobedience is totally out of the question. When I think about this theme, I I picture it like a scene in the the new Star Wars movie where the First Order is assembling all of their uh, soldiers and troops and everything, and everyone's standing perfectly at attention and perfectly aligned and and following orders exactly as they're made. I mean, it's it's a picture of total authority and total control. No one would ever dare step out of line. No one would ever dare stop listening to this uh, person at the center of this gathering. No one would ever dare to be the only one left standing when everyone else is bowing down. Except it wasn't quite everyone. Verse 8, at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we just learned at the end of chapter 2 that we saw last week, they have just been put in positions of influence and power uh, over this province of Babylon. And apparently their co-workers are a little bit jealous. They're not pleased with this. And so while they might have been able to fly under the radar on this particular occasion, these guys are going to call them out and call the king's attention directly to these men for having done that. Needless to say, the king is not pleased. Verse 13, furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hands? Now remember, this whole thing is about loyalty to the king. It's about showing his power and his control over the entire Babylonian empire. 
The fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have defied him, have not obeyed, is, is not okay. Their disobedience is totally unacceptable, and Nebuchadnezzar will not stand for it. So once again, he now gives the command directly to these three men. He's going to give them another chance, and he punctuates it by the question that's really at the center of our whole passage today. It's the last sentence in verse 15. What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? See, this is a question that really highlights the arrogance of this human king. And he has reason to be arrogant. He has reason to trust in his own power. He has taken over control over this entire empire, this entire area. Everyone that he has gone up against, he has defeated. So what that looks like to him is that there's no God that's more powerful than his God and his military strength. No one can stand against him. There's no sign of weakness in his entire kingdom, and it's not going to start now. Clearly, this power has gone to his head, and so he lays down the challenge. What God can save you from my hand? So we see in in the first instance here the theme of the arrogance of this human ruler. And this sets then up uh, a chance to see how God's people will respond. And we'll see now the second theme of the passage, the, the faithfulness of God's people. I want you to imagine being in this situation here. Remember, everything about this day is designed to show how powerful and impressive King Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom are. Now remember, Daniel himself in chapter 2 said that Nebuchadnezzar was king of kings. He said everyone on the whole earth is bowing to this king. Everyone, even the creatures, are under this king's control. He is mighty. He is powerful. This demand for absolute allegiance and the threat of immediate punishment means that this is a very dangerous situation. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they have been called out, and now they're standing before the king who has the power to kill them immediately. So clearly this is a dangerous situation, and, and, and you and I in this position would probably think carefully about our words. It demands kind of a, a delicate response. But listen to what these men say. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. I mean, these guys must have had hearts of steel, right? I mean, can you imagine how infuriating it would have been to this king to hear, we don't have to defend ourselves before you, you little human king. If the first scene is reminiscent of, of that gathering of the first order in Star Wars, the second uh, uh, part of the scene is more reminiscent of a video that, that kind of went around the internet quite a bit a few years ago of this girl facing down this giant lion at a zoo. And she's right across from the lion's face on the other side of the glass. And she's just fearlessly standing right up there in the face of this this giant alpha predator with, with ability to just crush her if it could get at her. And it starts pawing furiously at her and she's just standing there. She puts her face right up against the glass after this incredible show of aggression. She's totally unfazed. She's not afraid, even though this is a, a huge, powerful animal on the other side. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego here, right? They're standing on the other side of the glass, and, 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 and King Nebuchadnezzar is showing his great power, showing his great strength. Look at the fiery furnace. Look at the image. Now bow down to the image and do what I say. But they're just not that impressed. 
They're not that impressed with him, and they're not impressed, that impressed with his threats. We don't need to defend yourself, ourselves before you in this matter. He was going to give them another chance. He's going to strike up the band again, and they get one more chance to bow down and show their allegiance. But they give their answer plainly. You don't have to do all that stuff. It's just not going to happen. We're not going to bow down. Now, the reason that they're not impressed with Nebuchadnezzar is because they know someone who's far more impressive than this human king. Nebuchadnezzar has, has laid down the challenge. What God is able to save you from my hand? Well, they have a very clear answer to that. Our God is able to. The God that we serve is able to save us from your hand, and he will do it. They know this without a doubt, that their God is far more impressive than Nebuchadnezzar or anything that he can do to them. But look at the other part of what they say here. Even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. They know that God is free to not save them. And so as remarkable as it is that they're standing their ground in the face of this powerful king, it's perhaps even more remarkable that they're doing that knowing that God might allow them to be killed. See, whether God rescues them or not, they're going to maintain their integrity. They're going to worship the one true God alone. They're never going to bow down to any other kind of God or worship any other kind of God. They're going to maintain their integrity no matter what it costs them. Now, we're going to see the outcome of this in a moment, but it's so important for us to realize the same thing that these men realized. See, their faith was not in a certain outcome, as if I will trust God if he rescues me in this circumstance. No, they already trust God, no matter what God chooses to do in this particular case. And it's not that they're saying, well, if we have enough faith that God will do this, then God will have the outcome that we want to have happen. That's not how this works. Their trust is in God himself, no matter what God chooses to do. They know that their God is powerful. They know that he is able to save. And they can trust him to do what is right, even if that means he allows their death. So the first theme we see emerging from here is the arrogance of humans. And now we see the faithfulness of God's people, no matter what. And this brings us to the climactic part of the scene and shows the third theme that emerges here, the power of God. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar will not stand for this kind of an answer. Verse 19, Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His attitude toward them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual and commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Well, the king is showing once again that he is the one who is in power. He shows that he can give a command and immediately these men are set to their death. Strongest men in his army jump up and throw them in. And these insolent foreigners meet their end. That he loses some of his best soldiers is worth the cost of stamping out this rebellion and once again establishing Nebuchadnezzar's ruthless authority so that there will be no more attempts at insubordination. Nebuchadnezzar is king, and everyone is going to bow to what he says. But then he notices something. Verse 24, Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement, and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. 
He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire. And the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other god can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This big ceremony that the king had set up was designed to show the awesome power and authority of Nebuchadnezzar, king of kings. But it has turned into something altogether different. It has turned into a display of the awe-inspiring power of God. Nebuchadnezzar has thrown down the gauntlet and, and issued the challenge, what God can save from my hand? And now Nebuchadnezzar and all of the different officials who are gathered know the answer to that question. 